So when you look up to the night sky and you see the, the moon hanging there, whether it's a little sliver of a moon or a full moon or I guess entirely absent as a new moon, you know, there's a lot of mystery associated with what's around our planet. The moon itself has a lot of unanswered questions, but there's other things, other objects that orbit around our planet or are just at the edges of our atmosphere that, that draw a lot of attention. There's a lot of conspiracies. I mean, did we even land on the moon? I'll tell you right now, Buzz Aldrin will punch you in the face <laughs> if you tell him that we did not land on the moon. There, there's all sorts of mysteries and, and conspiracies. And so I think tonight we're going to talk about near-Earth conspiracies, mysteries, just things that are just sort of out there, just out of reach of your average man on planet Earth. From a child born into this world, we are taught what to believe. Close-minded, we become fearful to be deceived. Still we desire to know what lies beyond that locked door. The art of the storyteller conjuring tales of legend and lore. History hidden, lost knowledge, things forgotten and the unknown. These are the things that direct us and will set the tone. Welcome friends to another episode of Nightmares on the Lost Highway. Origins of the Moon. Now, concerning most scientists, the general consensus of what created the moon is something along the lines that follows. Most scientists agree that the general idea of a Mars-sized object smashed into Earth about 4.5 billion years ago, and this somehow created a massive amount of debris that fell then into orbit around the Earth and eventually merged into a single object. But this mystery isn't considered solved, far from it. Even where we think we have the very best answers about the moon and its origins, we're still investigating it. Uh, one particular scientist, Christopher Palma, uh, he's a teacher and a professor at Penn State Department of Astronomy and Astrophysics. He says, it's one of the biggest unanswered questions on the entire planet Earth, as Bill said, as we kind of on Earth and we're looking up to the moon trying to understand. Now, one of the obvious things that come up to mind in debate, if that's how the moon formed, why didn't that impact of this Mars-sized planet asteroid meteor impact knock the Earth out of orbit? Now, one of the most problematic aspects of this collision model is that scientists have, have had a very hard time calculating a scenario where the large impactor that they've named Thela hits Earth with just the right amount of force that the collision had to be strong enough to throw up a huge amount of material into the orbit around the Earth, but not so strong as to destroy the Earth. Does that mean that theory is wrong? A lot of scientists argue. No, it's still the dominant idea among moon researchers. The collision between Thea and Earth might have scrambled up all the materials from both bodies, the asteroid, the meteor, and Earth, and then might have been multiple collisions with smaller space objects rather than just that one-time big event or that massive crash. Scientists will argue still today about all of this. We're still exploring other theories, including the idea that gravity caused the material from the solar system's formation to just form the two bodies, moon and earth. You know, at the same time, the moon was already possibly floating around in the solar system before it was drawn in by the Earth's gravity. Both leave even more questions unanswered than the whole collision theory of Thea. Now, these are just mysteries of the universe that scientists still can't solve. And I thought we might t start there because, you know, we're talking about mysteries, mysteries on the Earth, mysteries around the, the space and around what we might see as humans here on Earth. So, we don't really have a good understanding of what even put the moon up there above and how it all really works. Now, I think a good counterpoint to that would be encapsulated in the hollow moon theory. Oh, there's a good one. There's a good one. Now, we've talked about the hollow earth theory, which says the earth is hollow and there's enclosed spaces within and you can find Nazi dinosaur writing. Journey to the center of the earth. Yeah, I mean, all kinds of crazy stuff, depending on what source you, you read or watch. But, you know, the hollow moon theory and sort of by connection here, the, the spaceship moon theory 
suggests that the moon is, is either hollow, like the hollow earth theory does, or it contains a large interior space, or is in fact built by an ancient alien civilization for whatever reason, you know, what reason they would have. Similar to the Death Star. If you're familiar with the movie <laughs> Moonfall starring Patrick Wilson, which is a, I will plug Patrick Wilson here. I think he's a good actor. I think he's involved in some very weird movies. He was in Watchmen. And if you're, if you listen to our podcast, he most commonly is associated with playing Ed Warren in the Conjuring universe movies. And, you know, the, the Warrens, we did an episode about them. So anyway, that's my little tangent about Patrick Wilson. I really like him <laughs> as an actor. But some suggest that since the moon is less dense than the Earth, that indicates it is, in fact, hollow. And others say that seismometers that were installed during the Apollo missions have recorded the moon ringing like a bell during recorded moonquakes, which I'll touch on moonquakes a little bit later. As a matter of fact, on November 20th, 1969, Apollo 12 deliberately crashed the ascent stage of its lunar module into the moon's surface, with NASA reporting that the moon rang like a bell for nearly an hour afterward, which... Some believe implies that it's it's hollow. That is a little kind of strange, uh, again, but we're only relating it back to the Earth. Yeah. So how do we know Earth. that, yeah, everything else is the same as Earth? But yeah, I thought that was very odd. So in 1970, two Russian scientists advanced the idea that the moon might potentially be a spaceship created by unknown beings. They, they felt that they were building upon the work of an earlier astrophysicist who suggested that the Martian moon Phobos was an artificial satellite and that it was also hollow. Another aspect that was used to push this theory was summed up by Isaac Asimov in 1965, although at the time he really wasn't supporting the theory. He was just, he observed, and I'll quote here, what makes a total eclipse so remarkable is the sheer astronomical accident that the moon fits so snugly over the sun. The moon is just large enough to cover the sun completely at times so that a temporary night falls and the stars spring out. The sun's greater distance makes up for its greater size, and the result is that the moon and the sun appear to be equal in size. There is no astronomical reason why moon and sun should fit together so well. It is the sheerest of coincidence, and only the Earth among all the planets is blessed in this fashion. So it's just... That's weird. I mean, it could just be intergalactic coincidence that these two astral bodies fit together just so. I mean, in a world of, or in a universe of infinite possibilities, I mean, bound to find at least one occurrence of something like that, what are the odds that it happens on our planet? Yeah, yeah. It is what it is. But since the 70s, theorists have cited this observation on solar eclipses as evidence that the moon must be artificial. And again, the 2021 movie Moonfall embraces this theory and shows the moon to be hollow with a lush interior built by humans that came from somewhere else in the universe as a sort of an arc that when we were able to understand the mysteries of the universe, we could take the moon and, and explore the galaxy. Something of a Death Star? The Death Star moved really slowly, I guess. Uh, and, and in Moonfall, it, I mean, it literally was trying to destroy the planet at one point. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen that, Eric. I have, but it's been a while. It's a, yeah. it's, I watched it, and I mean, you can ask my son. I literally argued with the science of it all as I was watching the movie. Was, what was this the makes other, no sense. What was the other movie we were talking about uh, a couple weeks back recording, and you're like, science just doesn't work. No, that, that was Moonfall. The that Meg 2. The Meg oh, 2. Oh, Meg 2, yeah. Yes, science there just doesn't science work that, that way. <laughs> I, I've requoted you several times, by the way. You know, if, if you're going to make a movie, <laughs> at least try to be scientifically accurate, if nothing else. What is it? Um, Neil deGrasse Tyson. He loves picking apart movies just by looking at the stars in the sky and going, well, that's not what the sky would have looked like on that day in that year. That's That's too much for me. Yeah, yeah. But- yeah, if you're going to tell me that somebody can hold his breath at the bottom of the Marianas Trench and not explode or die or whatever, yeah, yeah. I don't believe that. Yeah, no, no I, I definitely wouldn't want to be that uh, volunteer. Yeah, I don't want to be the guy to try it. Now, I will say, like, you know, back in school, um, we're taught a lot of things about the moon. We you know, Obviously, we touched in science about the, the moon and all this. I, I'm not going to bring up anything here that nobody probably already knows, but just stop and think about it. You know, the dark side of the moon. We have the this. Album? The album is great, <laughs> by the way. Yes, but we have the moon that literally mimics the Earth. However, the moon does not rotate around, so there's always a dark side that never sees the sun. It and is, it, it's what you call tide lock. It's tide locked with the Earth, so that we only ever see one side of. To me, that is. If you stop and think about that, to me, that's really strange. You know, why doesn't it spin around? Why can't we? You know. Because you have to keep that one side focused at the planet to observe. Observe. <laughs> and, of course, for conspiracy 
the dark side, the shadows, the dark side. Nobody knows what goes on in the dark. That's where a lot of these theories of alien structures and, and possible creatures could survive. And it is frigid on that side. Because, I mean, obviously it just has no heat, no exposure whatsoever. Yeah, it would have no solar radiation, so it would never get warm. Which kind of brings me to the next point. Uh, a question that often comes up in, in moon topics and discussions. Is there water on the moon? And the answer is yes. In 2009, NASA actually sent a rocket uh, into the, uh, I may mispronounce this, the, the Cabeus Crater near the moon's south pole. And the crash kicked up just a plume of dust that rose up almost 10 miles, they said, above the crater's rim. So that's pretty good impact. And while NASA's satellite instruments recorded these observations, grains of water ice were part of that cloud that they basically blew up, confirming that, yes, water does exist, and it is permanently shadowed in this region that we, I was just talking about near the poles of the moon. So now, be always frozen. Always frozen. Always frozen. Now, we're not talking about lakes and puddles and underground rivers and all that. Yes, it's frozen particles of ice. You know, in the early days, the craters on the moon, when you saw the moon's surface, people believed those were oceans. Yes. And some of them are actually named, some of the craters are actually named for, you know, in, in an ocean, with oceanic terminology. And those can just be huge grain canyons. Yeah, or, they're just big know, craters from something hitting it. Ironically, that's also where the, you know, the old childhood belief is the moon is made of cheese. You know, you have Swiss cheese with all the holes and everything in it. That's where, you know, some of that came from. What is it? This whole Saturday Night Live skit, the Harry Kay. If the moon was made of cheese, would you eat it? <laughs> The fact is that there is water that is frozen there, and it, in theory, could be enough to support longer-term human moon missions. So if they, we were to land people there, it is, you know, at least reasonably, scientific even, assuming that they could find a way to harvest that ice, they wouldn't have to bring water with them and run it through, a, uh, obviously, dethought and run it through a water purification. So that leads to a lot of people saying, well, if there was water there or is water there, was there life? Is there life? Um, you know, so you might ask, well, how in the world did this water how in, the, how in the moon get on the moon in the first place? Yeah, how did that happen? Researchers think there was a time period when Earth and the moon were being bombarded by comets and asteroids, which contained a lot of water ice. And this might, might have delivered oceans and lakes as well as the moon's icy deposits. However, new analysis of the moon rocks brought back from the Apollo 15 and, in particular, 17 missions in the 1970s makes scientists think there was water in the moon's interior that was brought to the surface during volcanic eruptions. Kind of goes back to the hollow earth, you know, a big possible river inside and then being bombarded and volcanic eruptions, that, that water kind of expelled up through the cracks. You know, there are also... There's beliefs that that is exactly how we got our lakes and our oceans here on Earth was the same way. So the answer, we still don't know. There's still so much debate. But could there have ever been life on the moon? Now, one of the reasons scientists want to get a closer look at these ice, you know, the ice hidden in these polar craters on the moon is that they wonder if it might be able to tell us something about the development of life on Earth because it's the closest thing we have in size and and placement in the cosmos to Earth. Now, based on my understanding of science, and I am by no means an expert, I would believe that you could not have life on the moon because, one, it doesn't have an atmosphere, never had an atmosphere. Right. And because of the Van, was it the Van Allen radiation belt, I think? That's what keeps solar radiation. We get light and we get heat, but we don't get the, the it toxic protects radiation. Us. Yeah, it whereas shields us. you would be exposed to that on the moon. So, But could that have been different? A zillion years ago. Who knows? I know when, I wasn't around that old. When the, <laughs> when the aliens first flew it in. Yeah, when the aliens <laughs> first threw the Death Star in. But, you know, what is preserved there? What could be gained from that information? You know, wherein lies, you know, earliest eras might have been destroyed on Earth, uh, have released materials into space that could have eventually made its way back to the moon. Uh, we're, I mean, we're talking about pieces of the Earth that could hold secrets to us that could be there on the moon. Strange little aside, and you can sympathize with part of this. 
we grew up in the Cold War. Yes. And there was always that, that threat of like nuclear annihilation. And my mom described nuclear bombs as weapons with the ability to destroy the world, which in my mind meant that the world exploded and little pieces flew off everywhere. I didn't realize, you know, going to poison the whole planet technically. Right. But I used to have this vision in my head that if that ever happened, the little pieces would have their own self-contained atmospheres and you could live there. Like it would destroy the world as we knew it. Yeah, I got you. And and so that was kind of speaking like, you know, the pieces flying out and having their own atmosphere and stuff like, or, you know, bringing water with them. I don't know if I thought it was going to happen, but I definitely had it in my mind that, well, if it happens, maybe my little chunk will stay relatively intact and I can just float through space. Again, as a small child, you're trying to rationalize and reason and make yourself feel as safe as you possibly can. With the end of the world destruction, there might be a small chance that, you know. My mom didn't sugarcoat a lot of things, so <laughs> yeah. There was definitely big chunks of my childhood where I just knew I was going to die from one thing or another because my mom was just like, oh, nuclear war or this or that. Or, you know, you see something on TV about the AIDS epidemic and it's like, well, I just knew I was going to get AIDS, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I didn't understand how people got it back then, but oh, I yeah, just. You, there was, I remember the fear tactics going around, you know, you drink out of a water fountain and you're going to die. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, that yeah, kind of like crazy that. stuff. If you touch someone, you're going to die. And yeah, the the whole Cold War and, you know, Mother Russia's sending nuclear subs and going to bomb us in the middle of the night and, you know, all this kind of stuff. So speaking of the Cold War, you know, in, in, in doing my research, I had stumbled ac- upon a, a bit of conspiracy theory that I had seen before, but I had forgot about, and that is the, the theory of the dying cosmonauts, the lost cosmonauts. Uh, you mentioned this to me. This is interesting. So, of course, during the space race in the 50s and 60s and, you know, the lead into the Cold War and all that, which I think we... Well, it was technically the Cold War was in the 50s and 60s. It lasted all the way up until, what, 80s, 90s? At least mid to late the 80s. The fall of the USSR. Yeah. Russia and the U.S. were engaged in this, this you know, space race. Mm-hmm. And the idea was whoever got to space first, whoever visited the moon first would have, you know, they could claim that they were the more technological, superior, you know, country. That was back in the time they were sending chimpanzees into space and all well, kinds of stuff. They were doing all kinds of things. Well, the Soviet Union had the early advantage. We know that now. Uh, in 1957, they launched Sputnik, which was the first man-made satellite. And in 1961, they launched cosmonaut Yuri Gagarin into space, and he became the first man in space. So that, that was another blow to uh, the American ego at they the time. They beat us, hands down. But according to some, and in, in my research, I kind of specifically focused on a couple of brothers from Italy uh, called the Judica Cordiglia brothers. And I'm not sure how that, I don't know if that was their whole family name. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure the naming convention used there. But according to them, Yuri was not the first cosmonaut to leave Earth. He was the first to come back. Ooh. So they had a listening station they had set up in Italy in, in an old bunker, I believe. And they... Very Cold of, War-ish. Yeah. Well, and they basically built it with the sole intention of intercepting communications transmissions between the ground and the spacecraft of both the U.S. and Soviets. They were listening to Major Tom and ground control at this <laughs> location. That was the idea. And according to them, their claims, weeks before Gagarin's successful flight and return, they claimed to have detected and recorded radio transmissions of a cosmonaut slowly dying while adrift in space, unable to return. Ooh. Now, of course, the Soviet Union has denied this claim, but supporters of the theory believe that the Soviet government hid the cosmonaut's death to preserve the country's reputation as the leader in space exploration. I could totally see that. You know, and who's to say, like, our government didn't do the same thing? We, I mean, right. we assume they didn't, but, you know, the Russians, I mean, they were always sort of known for their secrecy. And, and I mean, to, let's say their, their technology was never as good as ours, allegedly. And, yeah, I was going to say, and to ours as the American version, of course, it filtered down what, what our government wanted us to feel about theirs. But yeah, it was more like, well, they may be beating us, but their stuff's made of aluminum foil and duct tape and yeah. it's, it's wired together and they'll do whatever it takes to, you know, it, it was maybe so, maybe not. Now these Italian brothers had a whole list of recordings that they had released during the sixties. And I'm just going to go through them here. And they depicted an unnamed cosmonaut being lost when his orbiter veered off course in May of 1960 an SOS message in Morse code from a spacecraft in trouble in November of 1960, a cosmonaut suffocating in space in February 1961, a capsule circling the Earth three times before re-entering the atmosphere in April of 1961. So you're saying possibly these are all 
separate deaths, failed, attem- yeah, failed, failed attempts. attempts. Okay. Yeah. Weak calls for help from an orbiter in May of 1961. A Soviet spacecraft veering off course and vanishing into deep space in October 1961. A space capsule bouncing off the Earth's atmosphere during re-entry and disappearing in November of 1962, which, if you are familiar, you have to hit the Earth's atmosphere at a specific angle and velocity. If you, you know, Otherwise, you just bounce off. Yep, skip like a rock. A female cosmonaut perishing on re-entry in May of 1963. Hold on, a female? Yeah. At that time frame, wow. And finally, losing a cosmonaut when their capsule burned up on re-entry, April 1964. Now, these aren't the only potential evidence of lost cosmonauts. There, there's all kinds of other documentation, all kinds of you know people that say they have this information, ranging from disgraced Soviet scientists, people from other countries who claim they overheard the communications. There's all kinds of people. There, there's also there's stories that include the tales of doomed Soviet crew heard over the radio, uh, telling, telling the crew on the ground, "Remember us to the motherland. We are lost. We are lost." And then just kind of floating and disappearing. And that may have been from one of the earlier ones, too. Uh, but, of course, they realized that their rescue was impossible. I mean, if they couldn't nobody go up coming and come to back, get nobody you. else could do it. And, you know, honestly, if you stop and think about it, it kind of stands to reason. That was, that was a huge leap. Who, why would we think anybody, I say we as human race, you know, Russia aside or whatever, we're just going to do this the first time and it's going to work perfectly? Well, yeah, and that's supposedly so the much. reason why we sent chimps and stuff. And that's why Russia has, uh, was it Leica, the, the dog that they sent? Yeah, yeah. We had to prove that we could send a creature up and bring it back. And it's my understanding that at least as far as the American side goes, we sent a lot of chimps that didn't make it back. Right. So, Well, and of course, then we have, due to accidents, the, the horrible Challenger, you know, incident. Oh, know. was it in uh, Columbia? Um was it back in the early 2000s? I think it was. Yep. It, yeah, it happens in Challenger, especially if you, if you go back and, and the more that's been revealed about it over the years, they were receiving life sign readings until the capsule hit the ocean. Yeah. Which meant they knew they were, they were living through it. Yeah. I couldn't imagine that. Living and hell. The thing is, is I, it's my understanding, like the Columbia mission, they knew when they left, when they left off, lifted off, whatever the proper phrasing would be. There was a piece of foam, insulation foam, that had, that had struck a, was it one of the, the heat-absorbing panels? And they knew at that moment in time that shuttle may not make it back. But what do you do? what's your other option? Yeah, you already, yeah you've already kicked her into, into gear, and you're going, and there's only one direction. There's so much that can go wrong. And again, I mean, you know, it's just so crazy, the possibilities. What we could potentially learn versus the risk of, of doing it. I'll try to lighten things up a little bit. Uh, obviously, one of the things with, with the moon are all the, I will say some of them, really crazy superstitions around, you know, full moons in particular. I mean, to be fair, the, the word lunacy and lunatic, the lunar word is lunar. Yeah, literally. Well, obviously, there's one that, you know, a full moon just drives people crazy. That's when the werewolves come out. Uh, yes, yes. But, you know, people have long associated this, this cycle of a full moon with the worst of crimes. You know, the number of accidents, crimes, suicides uh, that, that they say double during these evenings. Uh, I know I've got a cousin that is an RN nurse uh, in an ER, and I have heard her say many times, you know, it's not a joke, but they talk about it like in their prep meetings. Tonight's going to be a full moon. It's going to be a crazy one. You know, everybody on your toes, be prepared. You're going to have more gunshots, more craziness. To be fair, where we both used to work, it was sort of a reputation on a full moon night on night shift. We had a higher percentage of accidents. Yes. You had more visits to the first aid station on a full moon night. And you had more instances of, well, the idea was, you know, people tended to get in fights more on full moon night. Yep. More violent. You had more instances. You had more incidents of things happening, whether it was just crazy stuff, people just, people that wouldn't normally act a little unusual were, that would be the night it would happen. Yeah. They'd get in fights and stuff. Well, you know, today people continue to believe that, you know, this, this star plays on our emotions and our moods, you know, legend states that our feelings will be increased 10 times over. Uh, insomnia is another big thing that uh, is said that'll hit harder on full moons. Uh, and, as Bill was saying, natural aggress- aggressiveness within people and even animals, you know, dogs and stuff are more prone to bite and, and lash out. 
Uh, of course, we have, you know, if uh, those of you in the Wiccan beliefs with, uh, you know, magical tales, you know, that is the time of the full moon is when you invoke the moon goddess, you know, during the nights of the full moon and optimizing their powers. And, and you know, lest we forget, it's believed that the moon is the natural occurrence that makes the werewolf appear, you know, ripping the human body away from that makingness, this animalistic, you know, raging craziness. Uh, the phase of the moon has also has the reputation of of stirring up certain mental disorders. You know, in the 19th century and, and in some English asylums, lunatics, as Bill was saying, lunatics, lunar, were literally beaten before, during, and after the full moon to calm them down. Now, if you're not going to have a bad night on a full moon, we're going to start beating you ahead of the time. I don't understand the idea of beating a person to calm them down. Yeah, calm them down. That's an oxymoron there. You know, another good one is if you cut your hair, on a full moon, it'll grow back quicker. Uh, it, it plays an essential role in, in vegetable growth, uh, obviously with the planting of crops. So why wouldn't it do the same with our hair? According to certain beliefs, the force uh, of its you know, pulls or boosts our blood flow. Uh, incidentally, our nails and hair will grow a lot quicker if they're trimmed during, uh, you know, late during these mystical evenings. There's rumors, of course, that the full moon makes us more fertile. So if you're trying to have a child, the, you know, the basis of the belief, and this kind of does make sense. The lunar cycles we know with the moon is what affects the tides, you know, the waters coming in and out. And so a lot of early doctors and, and midwives believe that also affected the avril menstrual cycles. Uh, again, the, those fluids, you know, however, there is no connection scientifically to be made between the two. However, for our sex lives, the full moon increases supposedly our libidos and drives us crazy between the sheets, as it's been said many times. To kind of go along with, with some of what you talked about there, there's been this movement lately, and it very nearly happened in the 1920s and 30s where we replaced our current calendar with a 13-month calendar. With every month having 28 days, the month starting on a Monday, the month ending on a Sunday, because it would be four full weeks, and our calendar would actually fall in the same pattern as the full moon. So you would have one full moon per month. You would never have the, was a blue moon with two moons in the same month. Right, right. True cycle of the moon, directly on the calendar. Yeah, it's something that almost happened apparently in the 20s and 30s, and I know I still hear about it from time to time. I've seen it pop up on the internet. And somebody, I was actually having a conversation not that long ago with somebody, and I can't remember who it was, but they mentioned that, like a 13-month calendar would actually make our months fall in perfect sync with the moon. And, you know, like I said, you, you would always start on a Monday, end on a Sunday. So I wonder just, what the 13th month would be called. We should just have that one as a free month, right? A free month. Got vacation month. We got you know, November, <laughs> December, free month. <laughs> Going back, you know, uh, the moon makes plants grow. Uh, that is proven. I mean, the truth is plants are indeed sensitive to the phases of the moon, but is, is it truly the moon that makes them grow or possibly scientists will argue rather the humidity and the soil and the sunlight changes due to the full moon. So you could argue both sides of the fence there. Full moon pregnancy superstitions. Here's another one. Are more babies born during the cycle of full moon than, than any other points? You know, women who are approaching the end of their pregnancy often hear, well, the full moon is coming. You'll give birth soon. But are, are there really more births on the full moon nights? This is a very old wise tale, a belief, and, and for good reason. A, a pregnancy lasts on an average of 280 days or going back to the cycles, 10 moon cycles, which is not a coincidence for many people. Some theories suggest that because the moon has an influence on the Earth's tides, as I had mentioned, it also in, you know, influences our inner tides. Pulls that baby right pulls out. Pulls that baby right on out of there, uh, out of that amniotic liquid again, and therefore to, to, to cause pregnancy of women's, uh, their waters to break and, and happen. That is something that's still argued by scientists, but again, I'm going to go out on a limb here. If you would ask most nurses, I think they would back that up. And again, that's the ones on the front line, as they say. So with all the things that are out there and talking about the moon so much, there's more than just the moon floating around our little planet, our little blue-green dot in the middle of space. A lot of space. space junk. A lot of space junk. And, and a piece of potential space junk, according to some sources, 
is what we call the Black Knight Satellite. Now, the Black Knight Satellite is a believed to be a spacecraft of extraterrestrial origin, supposedly in orbit around our planet for maybe as many as 13,000 years. Wow. And it, li- it lies in a near polar orbit of, of our little planet Earth here. Now, the Black Knight was acknowledged by the Defense Department in the late 1950s, supposedly, uh, as reported by the New York Times in 1960. Now, it is currently classified by NASA as space debris, and the official government story is that it is a thermal blanket that was lost from a space mission that just happens to float in a nearly stationary orbit above the pole. A blanket flying with all this other space junk that survived 13,000 years, did you say, or 1,300 years? the theory is that it's been there for 13,000 years. Obviously, we have no way to prove. Some little alien lost his blankie. It gets even better. (laughs) It is estimated to be roughly the size of an oil truck. That's a big big blankie. And estimated, based on that, uh, to weigh as much as 15 tons. Wow. Now. I've heard of weighted blankets, but (laughs) Jiminy Christmas. Speaking of weighted blanket, little funny thing I saw the other day. Superman if he had anxiety issues, would not be able to benefit from a weighted blanket because obviously just wouldn't work. wouldn't matter. (laughs) (laughs) But now the origins of the Black Knight are said to date back as far as 1899 when it was first detected by none other than Nikola Tesla. Now he supposedly recorded some very odd signals which seemed to be coming from outer space during radio experiments. And and not too long after that, amateur radio operator Jorgen Halls in Oslo, Norway, heard what he claimed were responses to his ham radio signals and he saw these responses originating from some alien intelligence. Now, at that time, obviously, we didn't know that the Black Knight was orbiting our planet. But th- over time, they believe that this is evidence to suggest that the Black Knight was there sending signals to us. In 1954, UFO researcher Donald Kehoe told newspapers that the U.S. Air Force was aware of two satellites orbiting Earth. At that time, no country had the ability to launch satellites into orbit. So if there was anything orbiting the planet, who put it? somebody there? else put it there. Now, if you see pictures of the dark, uh, the Black Knight satellite, it's kind of a weird shape, little thing floating around, sort of angular and pointy on one end. Is it an alien satellite? I mean, a lot of people say it is. Other people say Nikola Tesla was just detecting signals from pulsars, which we know is a type of star that does emit radio frequencies. Frequencies, and that uh, the the Oslo-based guy, he was hearing signals that are are known phenomenon now, which are like, I think they're called long delay echo repeaters or something like that, where you send a, a signal out into space and it does eventually bounce back. And, but people who study those things say that some people say it's a naturally occurring phenomenon. Other people who are in the UFO alien community say that it's evidence that someone's trying to communicate back with us. And we all know, of course, that there's only been one recorded radio frequency that ever really made us sit up and take notice, and that was the, the SETI, what yep. they call the wow signal, which was, you know, we, we have no explanation for that even to this Launched day. Launched that entire investigation that still goes on today. So in an article published in July of 2019 by Neil V. Patel on, on moon mysteries, he, he listed six moon mysteries that still remain unsolved despite all of our research. Number one is the origin of the moon. We talked about that a little earlier. Uh, quote, the fundamental question of how the moon formed and how that relates to the Earth is really the most important of the unknowns. Everything else comes after that. Uh, and that's from Noah Petro, a research scientist at NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center. Now, Apollo 11 brought back 50 pounds of moon rocks, and scientists have used these rocks to come up with what they believe is the strongest model of the moon's origin, which is sort of what you talked about earlier, that the moon began as a giant ball of molten lava orbiting Earth, and this led to the, the, the hypothesis that the moon was actually born out of the Earth due to a massive Mars-sized object, you know, hitting the planet and injecting this material into space. Again, that's what you talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, further studies show that material that formed the moon is also the same as the material that formed our planet. So they do have a, a common origin no matter what. And I think in my research I found that some of those rocks that they brought back, they determined was most likely from Earth. Yeah. Not, you know, not just samples from, they were samples taken from the moon, but not necessarily originally from the moon. Water on the moon? Like you said earlier, there is water on the moon, lots and lots of it in ice form. Um, and there could be more than we're even aware of just sitting right below the surface, especially at the polar ends. But how did all that water get there? Could it be some of the stuff we talked about earlier? No one really knows. No. Moonquakes. There are earthquakes, which, you know, I guess it's what you call a quake on the earth. Mm-hmm. But moonquakes that happen on the moon, and they happen pretty frequently. 
They're known as moonquakes. Seismometers that were installed on the surface of the moon measured these quakes from 1969 to 1977. We're aware of a few phenomena that caused these types of quakes, like thermal expansion, tidal stress uh, induced by the Earth's gravity, also working as a tidal force on the moon, and meteorite impacts. But no one's exactly sure how moonquakes happen or how they even behave. Are they like earthquakes? Are they? There are also shallower moonquakes that occur without any obvious cause. So. You know, you have the ones that are obvious from an impact or whatever, but then you have some that we just don't know why. Now, I know we've talked about it on the podcast, but like earthquakes, uh, we've talked about New Madrid and San Francisco and all that. I mean, we, we get up to, correct me if I'm wrong, like eights, nine point does. Those are devastating. Devastating. They have recorded uh, factually on the moonquakes as high as a 5.5, which would still, that's that would be pretty massive if it would be on earth, especially depending on where it was at. We, we talked about the tidal locking earlier. The reason we've only ever seen one side of the moon is because it's tidally locked with Earth. So only one side ever does face us. Now, apparently, it's, this is not uncommon for moons in our solar system, but we don't know why it happens. Uh, what conditions encourage it? You know, why, why does tidal locking occur? Again, apparently it's more common than we think, but why? But we still don't understand how and why. One of the most interesting ones, that I thought was the South Pole-Aitken Basin Anomaly. This has sprung up pretty recently as far as moon mysteries go, with the discovery that there is something massive underneath the moon's South Pole, below the largest impact crater ever made in the entire solar system that we are aware of. Something huge hit the moon, and we, we believe it may still be there. Now, scientists have no idea what it could, what it, what it could possibly be, but it's basically, if you break it down, it would be like having a massive metal five times larger than the big island of Hawaii. Uh, I think they said it was estimated to be 4.8 quintillion pounds, which that number, if you wrote it out, is like a whole line on a piece of paper. And it's 180 miles beneath the moon's surface, and it's big enough to exert its own gravitational force. Sounds like a it, giant spaceship. Well, it, it, it is part of the reason why the crater doesn't fill. It actually has enough gravity to cause that crater to remain in place. Now, some theories suggest it's a, you know, of course, it's just a large heavy metal body from a projectile that impacted the surface a long time ago, but there's no way we can know that for certain. And, I mean, in all honesty, you know, meteors and asteroids do often contain yeah. metallic, you know, ore. And part of the reason why we, we, one theory why Earth was able to develop life is because we do have a orbiting body that is able to absorb some of the impacts from large celestial bodies. So we don't get impacted by as many asteroids and meteors because Giant our moon, shield. Yeah, our moon acts as a shield. The last mystery of the, the moon here is volcanoes on the moon. Research suggests that lunar volcanoes were active within the last 100 million years. Problem is we just don't know enough about the moon and its build and all that to understand how volcanoes would work on the moon. And we try to cookie cutter stamp everything into the, well this is the way it works on the way earth, it works on earth but it wouldn't work that way but that moon. would not because you have no gravity there i mean there's so many different things there now some surfaces of the moon do seem to be younger than others which could indicate you know obviously that volcanoes were active and that they spewed forth material and that that material would be younger than the material around it and like you said we we kind of want to point to what happens on earth and say well that must be but, but that's that all we work. have to know to relate to now, another thing I thought was strange when I was doing the research, uh, and I guess this is, again, pretty common. I was not aware of it, but uh, there's almost like, I'll call it lightning storms that occur, especially on the dark side of the moon. And the, there was thoughts that that could be energy, static, like electricity from volcanic uh, activity, not a full-blown volcano, but yet, you know, reactions. And again, with with the atmosphere so different and everything, but they have caught hundreds, if not thousands of photographs, even videos of what originally they thought, oh, this is an alien base. Look, it has yeah, lights that are blinking lights. and flashing. And then when you zoom in on it now with, you know, better technology, it literally looks like lightning storms. But again, that's on the, the dark side of the moon. So we don't, we know less about what's on the dark side of the moon than obviously the side that we're facing all the time. But I thought that was very interesting. And then, of course, the scientists and people will argue, well, if there are storms, could there be rain? Could there be clouds? And, and again, we, we as humans, we have to try to understand and comprehend, but we only have 
a well, very narrow amount. We can't cookie cutter press everything into the way say, it is on Earth. In that instance, it's like you said, we're trying to compare it against that same phenomenon on Earth. But, I mean, literally, heat lightning. Heat lightning happens without a storm. Yeah, there's no rain. Yeah. So, but again, I can definitely see where that kind of stuff would be. I mean, you're seeing a flashing light. It looks like a blinking light. Well, that's that's an alien civilization, or that's a ship that is sending out a distress call or whatever. And, you know, a lot of it is our mind trying to cope and deal with things that we just simply don't understand. So, Bill, is it time for headlines? Is it? Is it? Is it? Calm down, Eric. I'm sorry. I get really excited about crashed spaceships on the Death Star. So my headline is from Popular Mechanics by Darren Orff, dated October 31st, 2023. 2023. Just the other day. A weird asteroid is orbiting Earth. It's actually a chunk of the moon. Uh-oh. How'd it get there? So in 2016, astronomers spotted an asteroid about the size of a Ferris wheel. Again, that is us Americans using everything we can to possibly <laughs> avoid the metric system. We're going to measure it in Ferris wheels and Carloses and everything else. Screw the metric system. That is a... Oh, okay, a little aside. My wife was watching Saturday Night Live the other day. I don't watch it very often. But they had George Washington's vision for America's future as a skit. <laughs> and he's like, we're going to use a completely arbitrary measurement system that has no basis in any way, shape, or form. You know, We're going like, to measure by gonna, Ferris wheels. We're going to use 12 inches in a foot. <laughs> and then the next measurement's going to be a yard. And the guy's like, and there's 12 feet in a yard? And he's like, no, it's no, like no. three and a half or something. Like that. <laughs> so anyway, anyway, so astronomers spot an asteroid the size of a Ferris wheel in an Earth-like orbit around the sun. Now, looking closer at the rock's composition and running numerical simulations, scientists now theorize that that asteroid might be a chunk of the moon that was blown off a long time ago. Now, they're still continuing to research this. 2016 to, you know, examine something like that is not a very big amount of time. So they're still looking into it. And research is, is continuing to look into the asteroid's age and maybe where on the moon it might have come from and what conditions could have led the rock to becoming an atypical near-Earth object. Now, this asteroid, which has been named, and it was discovered by an Hawaiian observatory, so it has a nice Hawaiian name, which I would probably butcher, <laughs> Kamaoleoa. I'm just going to say Kamo for now on. But it is Hawaiian for the oscillating fragment. Uh, it is small by asteroid standards, again, roughly the size of Ferris wheel, but its quasi-satellite status means its orbit is like that. It looks like it's orbiting Earth. It's not really orbiting Earth. It orbits the sun in roughly the same pattern that the Earth does. So gotcha. it looks like it's orbiting around us. In fact, it's orbiting with us. So technically, it's orbiting the sun. Now, due to its size and the fact that it orbits within 9 million miles of Earth every April, it did manage to stay hidden until 2016, when the Panoramic Survey Telescope and Rapid Response System located that at the Hialeakala Observatory in Hawaii, and, and again, I may have messed that one up, spotted this little tiny rock in space. Now, although the moon is no stranger to impacts from space, we talked about the, the crater anomaly on the South Pole, it would be particularly difficult for a piece of the moon to get knocked into an orbit like this. The odds of it happening are pretty low, and it had to be just perfect conditions. So this newborn asteroid would need enough energy to somehow escape the Earth-Moon system, get out of our gravity, but somehow not exceed the amount of energy necessary to throw it completely out of orbit and collide with another far enough, celestial but body. not too far. Numerical simulations accounting for gravitational influence of other planets have found that, despite the very unlikely situation that this could occur, it is definitely possible for Camo there to be a celestial child of our moon. Interesting. So we, we may have another little orbiting body out there that we didn't know about previously. Hmm. Well, my headline comes from uh, February 2016, uh, and it's the mystery of the moon's unnatural four-mile-high spire. Imagine Lord of the Rings, the tower, but I think I four almost, miles tall. I think I almost talked about that, and then I was like, I just, for whatever reason, I passed that one up. Well, on February 1st, this is 2016, the British news site Express reported an extraordinary claim that UFO chasers had supposedly discovered a tremendous, nearly four-mile-high artificial spire bursting out of the surface of the moon. Now this thing, to put into perspective, vaguely resembles something like the Seattle-Washington Space Needle. A uh, very tall, narrow structure without maybe the, 
the ball on the end of it, but just imagine this giant spike kind of coming up four miles uh, in height. Now, that's a bold statement indeed, but it was alleged this structure was built by the hand or at the command of extraterrestrial creatures. But they didn't stop there. The following statement was then shared online. The spire looks to be coming out of the center of a crater, but these are not craters, but many small white shiny structures. The spire was probably built to accommodate a very large vessel that it could dock safely without landing there in the crater. Have you seen any of the Ahsoka? Every one of them. The, Every one I'm of them. thinking the Star Destroyer yes. on the tower? Yes, that's, yes, that's, good comparison. Yeah. Well, anyhow, for this vessel to dock safely without landing down in that crater, now this is according to uh, Sightings Daily, what they call uh, Scott Waring, who further claims he created this site to help the UFO community get a little bit more organized and to share such stories and knowledge. Now, a popular tool that many UFO researchers use, I did not realize this thing, I've definitely got to check it out, is Google Earth Moon. Obviously, I know what Google Earth is. I didn't know that was a thing. There is a Google Earth moon which lets you fly all over the lunar surface the same way that you do on the planet Earth. To show you who I am, I knew there was a Google Earth equivalent for the world of Azeroth from Warcraft. <laughs> and I knew there was one for Middle Earth. <laughs> I did not know there was We've one for the actual moon. We've got one for the moon. So I, I haven't had a chance to check that out, but it's definitely on my bucket list. You ever play with Google Earth? Just speaking oh, yeah. a little aside. Yeah. You can find all kinds of weird stuff on Weird stuff. Well, I mean, they've made major discoveries, you know, sunken ships, sunken planes in the ocean and stuff. You know, you're just like, beep, well, I think beep, we've, beep, we've talked about it novice before. Novice people. Like sightings of creatures in the ocean. and Yeah. Yeah, like you said, lost airplanes in the jungle. And, and then, of course, you get the glitches every now and then that looks like a big black square, so that's got to be a yeah, that's, top that's secret blocked out by government. The government. Yeah, yeah, okay. Or, you know, buildings that are perfectly round and look like UFOs. Yeah, yeah. Now, obviously, there are those who want to believe this. Uh, and, you know, they, they declare this is absolute proof of alien life, either existing now or an extinct one that lived millions, may possibly billions, even longer years ago. But still, there are other possibilities. Most scientists believe this is just a trick on the mind's eye. They state these shadows cast from the moon level are at, again, so much different angles and, and interpreted so differently so that a small item can cast a very, very long shadow way out of proportion, creating an optical illusion. Like the face on Mars. Oh, yes. Man, when I was a kid, I remember they used to advertise the, the deal on the sci-fi channel. It, like, I, And it truly does look like a face. I mean, it looks like a face, but it's sort of a, was it paradelia, I think is what you call it? Yes. You're or, wanting to yeah, try. you're just trying to translate. You know, and, and, and I will say that when the area was investigated later, they returned at a different time, sun obviously in a you know different location. The spire seemed to literally all but vanish. It was just gone. It didn't exist. Now, of course, that led to more conspiracies. Well, it knew it got discovered, <laughs> so it, it sucked this four-mile tower back down into the Death Star, the Hollow Earth, but Anyhow, I thought that was kind of an interesting deal. And again, it goes back to us as humans trying to relate to, we have to put everything in a box. We have to categorize it. And the only thing we have to compare to is Earth. So, you know, it's a cool story, uh, but most likely it was just an optical illusion. So with all this talk of the moon, if you had a chance, NASA opens up civilian commercial space flight. To go with William Shatner. Would you go to the moon? Or, I mean, I suppose any other private enterprise. I mean, I know you can do all kinds of things. Would you Would you travel to the moon? I will truly say when I was uh, preteen, if you asked me what my favorite job or my job I wanted, I wanted to work for NASA, I wanted to be an astronaut, and I wanted to go to the moon. Honestly, I feel I've, I've kind of lost the luster with the moon. I would want to possibly travel further from the moon. See, I thought about it, and my answer was going to be very similar. When I was younger, I would have been all for it. Uh, at my current age and current level of health, I don't think <laughs> I could survive the flight. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, if there was like, if it was like getting in a plane, yeah, absolutely. And I'm like you, like I, going to Mars, something like that, going to another planet, if yeah. it was feasible and it didn't take like 
10 years or whatever, seven years, however long it's supposed to take. Just teleporter. And you're there and then and you're back. You know, kind of you, you must not have read the Stephen King story about that. <laughs> I don't want that. Come back looking like an alien. Well, there's a Stephen King story, not to spoil a whole lot, but it talks about instantaneous teleportation. And that's part of the story. It's about this kid and he's getting ready for his first trip. And the idea is that they give you a pill to put you asleep and or something like that. And you're supposed to just be asleep during the, the mission. Well, he wants to be awake for it or the teleportation. He wants to be awake for it. So he doesn't take the pill. And apparently when he comes out the other side, he's shattered his mind and he's just like comatose and his hair has gone, you know, perfectly white from whatever he experienced. Just sent you through a fax machine. So, yeah, I, I'm kind of like, I'm kind of like bones on that one from Star Trek. Like I'm worried that when you take all my little bits and pieces apart, you try to put them back together on the other side, you'll get something wrong. Might be missing a few puzzle pieces. Uh, yeah, or, you know, like President Scroob and Screwballs where he's, his head's on backwards and he's staring <laughs> at his own butt. <laughs> Why didn't he want to tell me my ass was this big? So, Well, we certainly hope that you've enjoyed yet another episode that we love to share with all of our listeners on Nightmares on the Lost Highway. Thanks so much. Hey, real quick, call to action. I think Eric would agree. We'd like to grow this Nightmares on the Lost Highway. Absolutely. If you could, if you're listening on Apple, if you would go and give us a review and, and rate us. Uh, if you have some feedback, that's fine too. Uh, whatever, whatever platform you're listening, follow us, rate us, give us some reviews. That helps get some recognition and gets our name out there. We do have a Facebook page, Nightmares on the Lost Highway. You can easily find us if you want to communicate with us. If you want to share some uh, possibilities for future podcasts with us, you know, reach out. We want to talk with you guys. And I only did the opening for the uh, Lost Treasures, because I think these other two were yours. Moon Mystery and Lost Treasures was yours. Moon Mysteries, was that mine? I didn't come up with that well, idea. Son of a whore. I'm the one that said we call it Moon Mysteries. Right. No, I, I mean, I'll do an intro, though. <clears throat> okay. And I'm not calling it Moon Mysteries again. We're going to say Nearer or Orbit. Or I trust you on like your titles because some of these I really struggled <laughs> with, I'll be honest. I don't know if it was the timing or, or topics. Well, I'm, I'm glad we waited a moment so she didn't interrupt. <clears throat> our, thir- our, our guest speaker today. <laughs> I want to take a time to thank the people that helped bring this all together. Uh, Alex Tudor, you can almost call him our producer at this point. Sarah Tudor, who also helps with some of the technical stuff. I want to take a moment to extend thanks to Eric for letting us use his space to record in, kind of our makeshift studio. I, in turn, would like to thank Bill for, one, putting up with me and uh, (laughs) using this camaraderie to do something we both very much love and enjoy doing. And thank Bill's family for allowing him to spend all the time to work and clean up our recordings and present them in what uh, you hear in the final uh, terms, uh, the final edition, if you will. And I'd like to thank all of you for continuing to to listen. I know we've got some loyal followers out there. We do this as a labor of love, but we're, we're happy that there are people that enjoy it as hopefully as much as we do. Thank you very much.